My name is uh, Andy. Uh, I'm the director of mobilization for the 100 People Network. The 100 People Network is something our church started about six years ago, uh, and the, the leaders of our church kind of got together um, and said, what would it look like if we were to see 100 people go from our church to do three things? That they would go for, um, to the unreached people specifically, we'll talk about how that, just as a fancy word for the nations, and we'll talk about that in a second, that they would go to the unreached peoples, that they'd go for at least two years, and then that they would go with a, a, a focus on planting churches that plant churches that plant churches. That could look a lot of different ways, but the real reason they're going is because of that. And by God's grace, um, just about a year ago, um, after five years, uh, we got to see God faithfully fulfill the vision he had given uh, our leaders in 2009, which is pretty unbelievable, right? In, in, in five years to see 100 people gone, um, go. And then, and then by God's grace, this last year, we got to see even more people than we've ever seen before go to the nations. And so I got to be a part of that and help train those folks that want to go talk to the nations, the world about Jesus. Now, the good news for you is tonight... Some of you are like getting nervous, like he's going to tell us all to go to the nations, isn't he? Uh, the good news is tonight uh, that a couple times a year, our church specifically focuses on how we as a church can engage the nations, not just the ones over there, but the ones here. And so you guys uh, came on the Sunday uh, that focuses on uh, how we're going to engage the nations here. And so um, we are radically about the world because God is radically about the world. He wants every people on the planet to know him. Psalm 96 is one of our favorites. It says, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. And at the stone, we love to sing. You guys just got done singing. We have a great group of men and women who lead us in worship every week. We're really blessed to have that. And God says, that's a good start, but I want more than that. I want more in a couple different ways. I want more singing, and I want more people to sing. And, and when you ask the question, who are those people, he wants all the earth. Now, that sounds really cool, right? But what does that practically mean for us? Well, a couple things I think it means. It means that we keep singing to him, so that's good news for the, the, the band, right? Because um, they're going to still have jobs. And um, the second thing it means is you look at, it says, verse 2, sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation day to day. And so just like you came in here and you didn't have to pray about, man, should I sing or not sing? You didn't worry about if you were a good singer or not a good singer. You just sang. You, didn't be, you weren't like, God, is it your will that I sing tonight? Maybe there's one or two, but very few of us, right? Most of us just sang. And, and actually, the same thing should be true of declaring his salvation, of telling other people about Jesus. It's not a should we, could we, is it your will? It's just you should, just like we sing. And then he wants us to do that, not just to the people that look like us, but to the nations too. It says in verse 3, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. And so, like I mentioned earlier, there's really a couple ways to do that. Number one, you could join the hundred folks that we've sent to the nations. And if you want to do that, we'd be thrilled to sit down with you and talk. So you can just email our team, We've got a whole team of people, and all they do, not, they don't even focus on short-term trips or anything else, they just focus on sending people long-term to go to the nation. So you can um, uh, email us at makedisciples uh, uh, at austinstone.org, right? And you can tell how often I get to check that email. And, um, 
And uh, we've got a team of people. That's what's the great thing about it. And so they will get a hold of you when you, and so if you want to go to the nations, email us. Tell us that. But the rest of, the, the rest of us, 95% of us, are going to stay right here in Austin with the bats, right? Right? Rainy Street and Rudy's, that's us, right? You know what I'm talking about? We are not going to go anywhere. And the great thing is, friends, that, that, that God has brought the nations to Austin. You, when you think about the nations, there's two groups of nations, really. There's reached nations and unreached nations. Reached nations are like the, almost everybody that lives in Austin, almost everybody that lives in Texas, meaning they have uh, the gospel is in a language and a culture they understand it and th- that they can understand it in. Unreached peoples would be peoples or nations, not just political nations, but groups within political nations that, that don't have the gospel in their language or culture, and the church is not big enough to proclaim the gospel to them. So like some of our friends live in a city in China that's two million people, so a pretty, pretty good size, bigger than Austin, right? And there's about 200 believers in that total city. 200. So that's like the, the middle section here, Right? Maybe a little bit more. And, and that's all there is. So those would be considered unreached. They're living among an unreached people group. In other words, the majority of the people don't have the gospel in a language or culture that makes sense to them. They don't even know somebody that follows Jesus. And our church, by God's grace, is focused on those where the gospel resources are the fewest. And so the good news for us is God has even brought those nations, those people, to Austin. Here's a couple stats. Uh, There are 1,000 refugees that come into Austin every single year. 1,000 refugees that come into our city every single year. And so super conservative number. Um, We've heard way higher than this. But but super conservative number is 20,000 refugees live in the city of Austin. On the UT campus, there's another demographic of of people that aren't from this country. 7,000 internationals are a part of the UT campus. So what's crazy is you could line up every single person in our church, and then you could line up every international that's a part of UT, and everybody would have a friend. Isn't that wild to think about? Like, what would it look like if we all just had one more friend, right? And we just each had one, and, you know, and and so that would be sweet. And you'll have an opportunity to do that later tonight. But um, China... India, Iran, Turkey, Pakistan are five of the six top countries that internationals come from to go to the university here. Let me, let me give you a def, two quick definitions, the difference between a refugee and an international. A refugee is someone who comes seeking asylum in our country. They're, they're leaving danger and coming to seek safety in our um, country because of war, terrorism, some kind of craziness is happening that's endangering their life, and so they come to take refuge in America. Then you've got internationals, and internationals come here for lots of reasons. They come here to make money, they come here for education, they come here for vacation, right? Um, like Disney World vacation, maybe not just vocation, but vacation. And, and so they've got, so every refugee is an international, but not all internationals are refugees. You guys tracking? Get too much sun this afternoon. What do you think? Okay, you got baked. That's okay. Um, so the nations are here in Austin. So what are we going to do? The real question becomes, how are those of us who are going to stay right here in Austin engage the nations? Because again, just like Psalm 96 says, this isn't for a small group of people. This isn't like a special calling if you feel like, oh God, should I love internationals? No, it's a biblical command. 
And so your group of friends, your group of roommates, your MC needs to be affecting the nations. If you're not going to go to the nations, then you need to be involved with the nations right here. It's not a question of should I, it's how. And so tonight we're going to real practically look at how did Jesus love the internationals around him. We're going to look at a real familiar story in John chapter 4, Samaritan woman, woman at the well. Some of you have heard it. Instead of reading all 42 verses, I'll just give you a a, a quick paraphrase version, okay? So Jesus and his disciples are on a trip. They choose to go through, Jesus chooses to go through an international part of the region. And he meets this woman, a Samaritan woman at the well. And the disciples go into town. They've gone into town um, to, to get some food. He meets this woman and begins immediately to break all the cultural and religious um, stereotypes. And, and, and dives into conversation with her, talking about himself. And the woman begins to treasure Jesus. And, and, and as she treasures Jesus, Jesus is talking to her about, about who he is and then sends her into the town. She gets sent into the town. The disciples come back. They're dumbfounded that, they're, that, they're, that, they're, that Jesus is talking to this Samaritan woman. And the rest of the town comes out and says, please stay here and teach us about who you are, about what you, what you happened in the woman's life. And he does, and many of the town come to know him. Okay, so three things tonight, real practical things that we're going to talk about how Jesus loves internationals, how he wants us to live internationals. And by the way, the word international and refugee, neither of those are degrading or, or demeaning. Okay, at least not in our context. Like when I go to, it just simply means they're not from this country. So when I go to other countries, then I become the international. And by the way, if you're not Jewish tonight, if you are, you're welcome here. But if you're not Jewish, guess what you are to Jesus? International, baby. So welcome to the club, okay? Um, I know it's hard for Texans sometimes to grasp, but yeah, it's okay. Um, It's not a hit. It's just you love your country, and that's good. So country of Texas. Jesus goes to internationals. That's the first point. That's the first thing Jesus wants us to do. Jesus goes to internationals. The subtitle for this point would be because he knows many of them are ready to say yes to him. Jesus goes to internationals because he knows that many of them are ready to say yes to him. Here's the key verse, really for the whole talk, really for the whole night. Verse 35, Jesus says to his disciples when they come back, Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Jesus is taking a trip from Judea to Galilee. You can see it on the map here. So he's down south, heading north. It's pretty much a straight shot. And yet there was this region near where Jesus lived called Samaria. And and there's lots of reasons, but the Jews hated the Samaritans because they were a part of a different culture. And the Samaritans, because they were hated, hated the Jews back. It didn't work very well. And so what Jews would do when they had to go north to Galilee, they would actually go around Samaria, like people go around Austin, like on 45, because they want to avoid us like the plague, at least 35, right? You know what I'm talking about? Anybody from San Antonio? Yeah? Okay. And, um, and so they would go around. They crossed the Jordan River twice. You can see the gray dotted line. But Jesus, no, Jesus goes right through that region because he knew there were people there that wanted to say yes to him. So Jesus goes to internationals in two different ways. Number one, he chooses to put himself and his friends in a context where they can meet internationals. And second, he's looking for people that God puts in front of him when he's doing everyday activities. 
So the first one, choosing to put yourself in a context where you and your friends, you and your family, you and your roommates can meet internationals. It's really easy here in Austin because there's lots of internationals. And so all you have to do is take the things that you normally do in a given day and just begin to be a little bit more intentional, like eating lunch. Everybody eats lunch. Everybody gets to choose where they eat lunch. So if you're near downtown, go to campus, and, and there's lots of places downtown as well, but if you're on campus or near down campus, you go to, um, you go to Kismet or Madam Mams, you'll get great food, and you're likely to be able to rub shoulders with an international, right? Now, and, and then, so, but, but some of you live up north, and that's okay, and maybe you like to eat more food. So there's this great Middle Eastern buffet, Mediterranean buffet called Diamasi's on 183. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like two people, that's great. So they're, they're uh, you know, I should get like some free um, um, buffets because I advertise for them so much today. But, but like it is a great spot to meet friends. All you got to do is when somebody else is going to get more hummus, you go up to the buffet bar too and start a conversation. It's really not that difficult. And some of you are like, well, I'm an introverted and I, I'm kind of scared and I, I don't know if, you know. Bring an extrovert friend. You know what they do when they get nervous? They talk. And so uh, you go up there with your extrovert friend when there's somebody that looks like they they don't come from Texas up there, and then you just tap them, and they'll get nervous, and they'll start talking, and you'll start a friendship. It's really not that difficult, friends. And, and, And here's one more helpful hint. Like, don't blurt out extroverts or introverts that get some courage. Hi, where are you from? Don't let that be your first line because there are a lot of people that are apart, that live in Austin, that might look like they're not Texan, but they actually grew up in Houston. You know what I'm talking about? Has anybody done that one before? I have. I've done that multiple. Oh, where are you from? I'm from Dallas. Thank you. (laughs) What country is Dallas? No, right? So here's, here's how I start the, the conversation, just real practical, okay, to let you know this is possible. Oh, you guys come here often. This hummus is awesome. I love this place. Yeah. Oh, you do too? Hey, we're, um, you guys, do you work close to here? Oh, National Instruments? Yeah, I've heard of that place. I work a little further south. Um, hey, are you from Austin? That's the key question. Are you from Austin? You see how that takes the pressure off and doesn't imply that they're everybody tracking? And then if they're like, no, I'm from Houston, but the accent's still pretty thick, I'll take it one step further and say, oh, were you born in Houston? Oh, no, you were born in Amman, Jordan? Oh, wow. You know what? I've just been realizing that I don't know much about the Middle East. I watch some stuff on the news, but I don't know how accurate or not accurate that is. Would you want to get hummus again, like next week? (laughs) Same time, same place? And bam, you've started a relationship. It's really not as difficult as you think. I'd say it's way easier than guy-girl interaction, and most of us are pretty accomplished at that, right? Flops and, and, and good, so good and bad. I, I think about our friends Ronald and, and, and Anna a few years ago. They found out about all these um, refugees that were pouring into Austin, and they said, man, we got we to gotta do something about this. So they signed up, just like you're going to have an opportunity to do tonight, and gave their information, went to a one-hour orientation, and then began to get opportunities to serve the refugee population. These are people that have seen things that you cannot imagine, friends. And they are coming to this country looking for hope. Talk about a great way to be the church. 
Well, Ronald and and Anna signed up, and they got this email back, and it said, we need somebody to pick up this Iraqi family from the airport, and they said, we'll do it. And so they got the time, and all they were going to do is go from the airport to their apartment, right, and then maybe help them get a few things. So they picked up a mom and a dad and their son and brought them to their apartment. Well, they got their phone number, helped them get a phone first, and then got their phone number, right, because they were there helping them get it, and, um, and, and began a friendship with this family, began to love on this family, and then introduced them to other families, um, other people that were from the stone. And then, and then because they loved on them, they talked about the things that were most important in their life. Well, for Ronald and, and Anna, one of the things that's most important to them, just like you and I, is Jesus. And so there, now, now we're, here we are, just a month or two into this relationship, and they're getting to unpack the gospel with Iraqis. Friends, you want to impact the nations? All you have to do is sign up. I mean, it could not get any easier for us to bless the nations. Every single person that hears my voice should sign up, without a doubt. No pressure. But, but it really is. It's that simple. And what's cool about that story is the dad from that family now works for um, one of the organizations that we partner w- with that helps resettle refugees back here in America. So the thing has really come full circle. It's really a sweet story. But, but literally today, church, you're going to have opportunities put in front of you to step into. It's a real practical sermon this week, real, real easy handlebars, maybe even some training wheels, right? The second thing that we learned from Jesus is that he was intentional where he was. In other words, in his day-to-day activities, he was at a well. Why was he at a well? Because he was thirsty, Super spiritual, right? And God puts this woman in front of him. And, and one of the things that I think you could go out and be, you know, look to go to Madame Mams or all these different places and, you know, form friendships at restaurants or international um, grocery stores, you can do that. But if that's not who you are, then, then here's what I think Jesus has for you, for you, is that he wants you to look around at the people that he puts in front of you and start actually treating them like people. See, Jesus, what did he say to the disciples? He said, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. As if to say, look around you. The person in front of you has a name and a story. And I know you can't talk to every single person that you come in contact with, but you need to be ready to join God in what he's doing in people's lives so that if he is to move, you can be ready to join him. See, so many times I think most of us are so consumed with our lives, our agenda, our Twitter's accounts, right? It's like Jesus knew there was going to be cell phones. And he knew we were just going to walk around and be waiting for our coffee and be waiting for our food and be walking on campus and doing our, and we're just head down, right? How often do you see people actually looking up? Put your phone and your watch and your Google glasses in your pocket, Okay? And and when you're at the pool, and when you're in the parking lot, and when you're on a walk, and when you're eating, and if you're at Costco, wherever you're at, lift up your eyes, friends, and see the people that God's put in front of you. Now, my wife and I, we've been trying to do this for a few years. The thing that actually helps us the most is being a part of a missional community where we're asked regularly if we're lifting our eyes. We don't use that phrase, but it's the same thing. Are we lifting our eyes? Are we being intentional with the people that God puts in front of us? And, and I think about going to, uh, uh, going to Costco uh, one time. With, uh, uh, we have four kids. With four kids, just we're, we're doing something really spiritual called getting groceries, 
okay? And, and, and our kids are jacking around, and Jamie and I are talking about what we need, and, and um, all of a sudden, there's this Asian-looking um, couple there and their daughter, and our kids start just messing around, and, and she's, like, interested. And so then I just go over and introduce to my, myself to the dad, and the dad happens to be a part of this unreached people group called the Uyghurs. And, and we start a relationship because all, with this couple and, 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 the, and the Uyghur people, there are millions of Uyghur people that live in Western China and there's only a handful of believers. But why did that happen? Because I was doing something really strategic that Saturday? No, because we simply lifted our eyes. Now, now I just want to give you a, a big like, whew, right, and take the pressure off. For every one story that we do, right, I'm, I'm, easily we pass three, four, five different folks. We don't do this all the time. We're not the best at it, right? But we're trying. And there's a group of people around us that are calling us to it day in and day out. See, we need to stop dichotomizing our lives. We have lots of times we have God's time and then we have our time. And it doesn't work like that. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, so whether you eat or whether you drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Whether you're going to the pool, whether you're going to work, whether you're going to work out, whatever you're doing, lift up your eyes and look at the people God has in front of you and treat them like a person with a story because God may be ready to open their lives to himself. We've got lots of stories like that. And, and it's all across Austin. N- number two, Jesus So Jesus goes to internationals. That's the first point. Number two is Jesus focuses on Jesus. Jesus focuses on Jesus. Look at how much Jesus talks about himself. Right away off the bat, he asks the woman for a drink. She freaks out, and and then he dives into talking about himself and what he has to offer the woman. Verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Skip to verse 13. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Again, in verse 22, Jesus says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. Jesus, it's like the big neon arrows over top of him going, I'm it, I'm it. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews or the Jew that's right in front of you. And that's what he says in verse 25 and 26. It's probably the most clear time in all of the Gospels that Jesus points to himself as the Messiah. The woman says, after they talk about what it means to worship, and we'll get, get, to, get to that in just a second. The woman says to him, I know the Messiah, verse 25, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Wow. Jesus focuses on Jesus. He told the woman blatantly, first encounter, that he was the whole deal. That he was the one that could help her worship in spirit and in truth. Do you notice what Jesus didn't focus on? You notice what Jesus didn't focus on? Jesus didn't focus on the cultural or religious differences. Verse 9. The woman said to him, after he asked him for a drink, How is it that you, a Jew, 
ask me for a drink, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And then in verse 27, the same thing happens when the disciples come back from the town. They're so freaked out, they don't even know what to say. Jesus, why are you talking to this Samaritan woman? Because see, men and women didn't interact unless they were family. And Jews and Samaritans definitely didn't interact because they've, they, were, they hated each other. The cultural differences were too huge. And yet Jesus didn't make the cultural, her cultural background the issue. He focuses on Jesus. And then in verse 20, the woman tries to bring up religion. Right? The woman says to Jesus, hey, you say that, that we should worship in Jerusalem. We say we should worship on this mountain. She's talking about religion, the traditions that make up your belief system. And Jesus says, don't worry about that. Logan read it earlier, right? The, whoever worships the Father needs to worship in spirit and in truth. And I'm the only one who can help you do that. I'm the only one. See, Samaritans had their own holy book. They had their own, besides the Torah, the the Old Testament, they had their own places of worship. They washed before they prayed. They wore white robes. They actually looked a lot like there's a handful of Samaritans that are still alive today. And they actually, when you look at them and look how they worship and practice their religion, they look a lot like Muslims. And yet Jesus didn't make the religious differences the issue. So different than how I... Um, was when I met my first Muslim friend, Majid from Jordan, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm excited, and I'm, I'm just like, man, I'm going to show this guy why Christianity is awesome, right? And so I go in, learn a little bit about, about Jordan, and then I start diving into why Islam is wrong and Christianity is right. Friends, and he was so gracious with me. So gracious. We continued a friendship after that, and I kind of got a clue and began to say, hey, let's not worry about the differences right now. Let's focus on the person of Jesus. Why is Jesus significant? Why does he matter? How has Jesus changed my life? That's really what what the, the second one gets to as well, is the second thing Jesus didn't focus on is Jesus didn't focus on her messed up situation. Look at verse 16. Jesus says to the woman, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you're living with now is not your husband. What you said is true. So it's not that Jesus is unaware of her her situation, of her messy past. Jesus doesn't make the track record of her immorality the issue. He focuses on himself. And yet, how many times when we begin to interact with people that don't treasure Jesus, do we make their lifestyle and their morals the primary issue? Friends, I'm not saying we don't desire to see those things change, but why would we start there? I mean, are our lives perfect? Come on! Let's focus on Jesus, why he's significant, why he matters, how he's changed our life. We'll get so much further that way. And then we'll let the Holy Spirit... Spirit and in truth, the Holy Spirit do his work in them and with them fight for living for Jesus after they know him. See, sometimes there's this lie that if we talk about Jesus too much on the front end, that, that will scare people away, especially internationals. It's just not true. We had a friend that's a part of a church in another town in, in Texas 
college town. This college had a bunch of international students that were, were coming, so many that they didn't know what to do. They weren't sure how to help all these internationals transition to Texas, right, the country of Texas. And so they asked a couple different churches. Nobody had any before them. They came to my friend's church. He said, yeah, we'll, we'll take them. And by God's grace, in one year, they helped over 100 internationals transition to life in Texas. Now, the university that, 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 that this was, where this was is, is a lot like UT, and they have a really small requirement. All you have to do is meet with the international once a month. I mean, give me a break, right? But what the university began to notice is that the internationals that this church was helping, they were transitioning better than, than the ones that they weren't helping. In fact, the university president even said, what is that church doing? And what's cool is the university, when they first approached this church, they said, hey, we just want you to know um, no proselytizing, right? And my friend wisely and shrewdly said, hey, we're not going to lock these folks in a room <laughs> and not feed them until they confess Jesus, but, but we are going to share God's love with them. We are going to tell them about Jesus because Jesus has changed our lives. That's why we're doing what we're doing, because they're going to ask us, why are you helping me? And, and, and we would be lying to not bring up Jesus. Well, the, the university was in a little bit of a pickle and just kind of had to say, okay. And yet now they're benefiting to the point where the university is pinging the church and asking them for more volunteers. Friends, what would it look like if UT began to do that with us? If the University of Texas said, Austin Stone, can you help us? We, we, know, we know that you've helped some internationals transition well to this city. Could you help us more? Isn't that what the church is supposed to be? That we could be seen like that by the university community. Man, it would be awesome. That's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to, to go to them and then to focus on himself. The third thing, the last thing, is that Jesus saves one to save the many. Jesus saves one to save the many. Look at verse 28 and 30, and then we'll skip down to 39. Verse 28, the woman left her jar, her water jar, and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And so they went out of the town and were coming to him. Skip to verse 39. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all I ever did. So when the Samaritans came, many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. God always has more for us, friends. This story is no different. Jesus definitely loved the woman the international woman, but he also loved the city that she was a part of. The biblical term for this woman is a person of peace. And when you look back in your Bible to Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus is sending out the 12, and then in Luke chapter 10, when Jesus is sending out the 72 to go tell people about him, in both instances, Jesus gives this biblical strategy and says, look for people that are ready to talk about me and that are connected to a larger group of people. See, Jesus never just wants one. He always wants many to come to know him. And so there's a guy named Ken 
who's a part of an MC that's a part of our church, and, and he um, was focusing on internationals, um, uh, and you're going to have the opportunity to do that. If you want to join a missional community that's focused on reaching internationals, you're going to have the opportunity to do that at the end of service. Um, but Ken was a part of one of these MCs, and so he went down to a hookah bar on campus, and, and nobody was in there. He's like, oh, man. Um, and so he just began to pray, God, would you bring somebody in here? And this guy that looks like he's from the Middle East comes and sits down, could have sat down anywhere in the whole place, sits down next to Ken. Well, Ken starts a conversation with him, and, you know, are you from Austin, right? And, um, and no, I'm from the Middle East. Oh, wow, Wh- which country? And they start talking, and, and Ken starts asking about what he believes and what he thinks about God and who he thinks Jesus is. And this guy's really interested. And Ken says, hey, would you and some of your friends want to get together and read the Bible? And the guy says, yeah. So two nights later, Ken and a guy from his MC um, join. The guy ended up bringing three friends, from the, all from the Middle East, all from his country, and they all start reading the Bible together, six of them. And so they get done, and Ken's like, man, it's been a great night um, reading the Bible together. Do you guys want to get together next week and read the Bible again? And the guy says, the, the four guys passionately say, no, we don't want to get together next week. We want to get together tomorrow. Like, we, we really... Like, we need to find out what, what happens in this story. So they couldn't meet the next day, but they next, met the following day. And then the, the Middle Eastern guys brought two more guys. So now you've got six guys from the Middle East and, and the two guys from the MC all reading the Bible together. Well, over the next two weeks, they brought more and more and more friends until the group was up to 14. 14 guys from the Middle East reading the Bible with two guys from an MC. Lift your eyes, Right? Is that like a new dance move? No. (laughs) You'll remember it though, right? Lift your eyes. We believe these lies. Like Muslims don't want to talk about Jesus. It's not true. It's not true, friends. They're looking for hope. They're looking for the way to God. They haven't found it in Islam. You know. Will you sing about the answer? So sing about it to them, friends. Lift up your eyes. The, 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 the fields, see the fields are white for harvest. Guys, the, we'll, we'll end with this. The motivator for lifting our eyes, the motivator for lifting our eyes to the harvest is what God's done in our lives. The reason we share the gospel is because of the gospel. See, we go to the woman at the well because we were the woman at the well. Amen? We were the woman. In our messed up situations, living in our mess, not a fun history. And yet Jesus breaks into our lives and says, don't worry about that. I've come to give you a new identity. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. I'm going to make you a new person and give you a new mission, a new hope for your life. That's what Jesus does, and that's what he wants to do with us. And so if, if you got pregnant before you were married, or if you had a drinking problem or a pornography problem, or if you're living in one of those realities right now, guess what? God doesn't want you to clean up your life and then to use you. He wants to use you right now. Amen? He wants to use you right now. It's not clean up your life and then be used by God. That wasn't true for the Samaritan woman, and it's not true for us. It's not true for us. 
Some of you, though, have been following Jesus for a while, and maybe you would even consider yourself a mature believer. Well, let me encourage you this way, that, if, that as maturity grows, so does mission. And so if you look at your life and you consider yourself a mature believer, and you, and you, and you look at your life and see mission is pretty small, And when I'm talking about mission, I'm talking specifically about the core of mission, which is sharing Jesus with people. The most loving thing we can do for people is tell them about Jesus. That's the very core of mission. And so if you see that that's pretty small in your life, then so is maturity. So you can have mission without maturity, but you can't have maturity without mission. The two go hand in hand. And so, friends, you don't have to feel bad about that. You just have to confess it to your roommates, to your MC, to your friends, and say, I want to see that change in my life. I don't know what it looks like to talk to people about Jesus, but I'm willing to try. I'm willing to enter into the people that God puts in front of me. He wants us to lift up our eyes. This is is the Texas version of that story right here. See that? Anybody been out in East Texas and seen this before? The cotton fields white for harvest? This is Austin, friends. This is Austin. Everywhere you look, everywhere you go, this is what it looks like. Sometimes we believe the lie that it actually looks like this. Oh, there's really, I don't know if God's doing much in our city. I don't know if people really want to talk about God. It's a lie from Satan. And it's not true because this is what Austin looks like. White. For, for miles and miles, people, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people everywhere in our city that are from the nations and they're ready to talk about our treasure. A couple of my buddies were moving into an apartment, just this was not even a week ago, on Monday night, last story, and then we'll, we'll be done. They were moving into an apartment on, on Monday night and after they got all their stuff moved in, they just went and met some of their neighbors. Here's an apartment full of Texans. Here's another apartment full of Texans. Just started to get to know them, build some, some relationship. And then they knocked on this, this door, um, and it was these two Asian gals that answered. They began to talk about these gals, found out that they'd lived here for three years and that they're from China. So they finished the conversation and just said, look forward to getting to know you guys more. We're your neighbors. If you need anything, we're right upstairs. And here's what the girls said at the very end. They said, we're so happy you knocked on our door. No one has ever knocked on our door in three years. They've just been sitting in there for three years waiting for somebody to knock. And whether you go door to door or meet your neighbors or just say hi at the pool or at Costco, people all around you are waiting for somebody to say hello. And talk about the hope that you have that's changed your life. God wants us to join him in seeing the nations declare his glory, friends. They are here. He has brought them here. And his primary purpose for putting them here is so that they can learn about who he is. And he's asking us, he's inviting us into that tonight. Will you join him? Let's pray. God, we want to see the nations sing to you a new song, a song that isn't in our language, a song that we can't sing. 
We want to see your glory declared among the nations right here in Austin. We want to be a church that's faithful with the nations that you've brought to us. God, we don't even have to go. We don't even have to go. God, you, you have brought them here for us. You've made it so easy. And we work with them. We, we do um, our hobbies with them. So would you awaken us, God? Would you awaken us to the reality of the harvest that is around us? People are ready to say yes to you. And God, we, we confess we're, we're kind of a timid people. We're kind of a scared people. We don't know if we'd mess it up or what to say or what if, what if they ask me a question I don't know. And so would you give us courage? Would you give us courage through your Holy Spirit? Would you give us courage through other believers? that we would begin to actually live as your church, a church on mission, engaging the world that you've put in this city for your glory, God. You brought them here so that they would worship and know and enjoy you. We want to be that people, God. So empower us, empower us to join you in what you're doing. For, for our joy, God, there's so much joy in joining you in what you're doing among the nations. Let us be a part of that. Let us be a part of seeing people come to know you. That, that the, the rest of this year, the, the four or five months that make up the rest of 2015, we would begin to beg you for nations that they would come to know you because we begin to lift up our eyes. We beg you for this. We ask you for it by faith in your mighty son's name. And the church agreed and said, amen.